Welcome to episode 12 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snowpro Ski School based here in the Swiss Alps. Um, it's really snowy here at the moment. There's a big storm cycle going through through the Alps right now um, and that seems to have triggered off uh, everyone being interested in skiing at the moment. The, uh, the bookings for my ski school for sure are, are going crazy right now, which is, um, uh, which is great news. Um, I've been about out and about a little bit also uh, i took a trip to the southern alps i went to chavinia through the uh, grand st bernard tunnel um not that far of a trip it's only about two hours away from me and the conditions over there on is the end when did i go on the sixth for my birthday and it was absolutely incredible i mean the the, the piece are in amazing condition they've got so much snow down there and that would have been the same storm cycle that hit sort of zermatt sasfe um really heavily at the start of december so uh there's some amazing conditions down there and i've spent a few weekends also in verbier with various uh, groups that we look after and um the conditions are pretty good there actually too um they could really do with this this current storm cycle that's going through so hopefully they're going to get dumped on and uh and this is the start of the uh the big snow for the winter um my interview this week um, is with Pete Gillespie, and Pete is the head of snow sports at the Snow Centre in Hemel Hempstead. So Pete's a guy who looks after uh, all the ski instructors and, and uh, all the skiing at the uh, one of these indoor snow domes in the, in the UK. Um, Pete is also the Education and International Director for IAZ, the Irish Association of Ski Instructors. So uh, I had a really wide-ranging chat with Pete, actually, and um, first in this first half here we go into his skiing history um, we chat a bit about Interski, uh, a bit about IAZ and uh, and his trips business, which uh, runs trips abroad um, to a lot of varied um, destinations. But but uh, Pete's favourites are uh, in the Balkans, and we talk extensively about that. So uh, enjoy this first half, and I'll catch you somewhere in the middle. Um, welcome to the Ski Instructor Podcast, Pete Gillespie. How are you? Thanks, Dave. Yeah, really good. Really good. Really good to catch up with you. It's been, um, I know we've discussed this for quite some time and never managed to get the schedules together. But yeah, here we are. So I'm sitting in a room at the Snow Centre in Hemel Hempstead and you're in the Swiss Alps, no doubt. And uh, yeah, we, we're connected. That's great. Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm looking out my window and I can see Vilar uh, across the valley and I can see Grion. And the slopes of Grion are, are, are covered, which is great. Um, ski ski slopes are opening up everywhere. I mean, so Verbier, yeah, uh, uh, Verbier uh, is open uh, at the moment down to Ruinex. Conditions are brilliant there. I was there on um, was there on Saturday. Um, so yeah, man, it's, it's great, you know. And, and they've had loads of snow in the Southern Alps. I'm off to Chavinia on Friday just for a day ski with a bunch of my mates. And yeah. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be really good. It's gonna be really good. So. Oh, you did it. Are you doing some training in Chavinia or just uh, just having a, a no, day? No, I I always I always used to go to Chavinia on my birthday because I love I love Chavinia. So it's my birthday on uh, on Friday, and yeah. um, I just love it there. I really really love it. And the peace are amazing. The, all all the peace in Chavinia, I'm sure you've been, are all yeah, just the right pitch to get some really nice turns in. Yeah, you know, it's a good motorway skiing there, isn't it? Is that all right? So I think that it's yeah. good for those kind of long turns and really cranking it over. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm not sure I, I count as someone who can really crank it over, but um, but but 
For sure. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to going. Gonna have a nice Italian lunch, a bit of pizza. It's going to be brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's all good. It's all good. And tell me, what are the conditions like in the snow centre this morning? Because you've been teaching already, haven't you? Yeah, really good today, actually. So it's really nice and firm. And we tend to find um, sort of the early hour or so, uh, the snow's obviously been set overnight, groomed. So it's rock hard. So it's good for sort of grippy turns. And then um, throughout the day, it gets a bit more variable, just like it would on a on a mountain. So the way in which we program the lessons is to is to kind of allow for people to get what they need out of the out the conditions. Obviously, some people want uh, flattened grooms, so we advise early. If you want to do a lesson involving carving or something, um, okay. some people want to understand how they can uh, adapt the skin to variable snow. So better off to do that in the evening. Oh, that's cool. Does it, do it, it does it change? Like, can you change the snow if you wanted to? Or well, our our um, our snow technician a guy called uh, Dave Wilson is one of the one of the top people in the world actually at understanding how this stuff works. He can change the consistency and. You know, if we want to build things or make bumps or build kickers, and you know, he's a real expert in that. Yeah. Um, but the snow, the snow actually on the on the on the slope changes um, as it would on a mountain, just with um, with use. I mean, obviously we don't get the temperature difference uh, in the snow centre. It tends to be sort of minus two most of the time, unless they're making snow and they they chill it down. But um, as people move around it, just on a mountain, they 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 chop it up and make it more variable. And some people absolutely love that because it's a a challenge. And obviously people that you know, maybe one that flatter slope would, would just program their their session earlier on during the day. Oh, right. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realise it varied. I just assumed it was like this sort of never-changing environment. But No, no. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just as varied as a mountain. I mean, people often ask me about the snow. Um, you know, I, I, and I describe it as it's real snow just made artificially. In other words, there's no chemical or anything like that. And it's just water and cold air. And it just goes through a process which creates very much like the stuff that that they use obviously in a, a mountain environment um and uh, yeah that's it real snow made artificially wow okay well while we're on the topic of um hemel hempstead indoor snow center let it, it it's, it's where i learned i think i talked to i talked to warren about yeah, this on a previous it. podcast so i learned when it was a dry slope before you put the, the roof on it and i learned there with uh, my school before we went off on our kind of austrian ski trip back you know back when i was younger um and i've sort of got fond, fond memories of the place i used to ski there a lot um not so much these days because i live out here all the time but it's what i i think i've written to you about this before is that the work that you guys do there that makes us guys out here in the mountains it makes our life so easy because you know, i'd, I'd the number of people that I've spoken to, the number of clients that come out and they say, oh yeah, I did some I did some lessons indoors in Hemel or somewhere like that, um, just to get a bit of a head start on our holiday. It makes such a difference to the people when they come out here. It's brilliant. Like, And, and thank you. Thank you to you and thank you to all your staff and all the guys that, that, that do all the work inside because I think it's brilliant. It really is. Oh, that's good to hear. And I'm glad that we make a difference to people's... Um experiences you know when they go off on their holiday because you know for the majority of people skiing is uh is something that they do because they want to have fun and make a holiday and make some memories with their family so mm. if we can accelerate um you know the, their their progress then that obviously helps but of course we are also an experience so you know people come to us and they have a unique experience skiing on on snow just uh just north of london and um no, maybe they they have no plan to go up to a mountain, but if we can create an interest, then mm. that benefits the um, benefits all the industry because obviously, you know, you guys then get to see these people as well. I yeah. think yeah, yeah. what helps is um, is a number of us involved in in the business here 
have been professional ski instructors, you know, in, in the environment that you work in as well. So we've got a bit of an idea of what people are going to. Yeah. So that obviously helps. That helps with us programming our, our our lessons. It helps a little bit with the philosophy that we use. It, it helps with the sort of shaping and training of uh, of our team so they can deliver the right experience. So there's a bit of synergy, I think, between um, you know the indoor environment and the outdoor environment. Certainly one that we're aware of and we try to to harness to get the best out of. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's really important. Like I say, I think, yeah, you're right, you're doing your own experience kind of thing, but it's just the shortcut is so good for people coming out here on holiday. They don't have to lose that kind of two yeah, hours. So kind of well, maybe a day or two, do you think, if yeah. they've not skied before? I mean, I'm not sure how, how uh, I think you know, what, what sort of levels of people come out to you. Like, there's actually a, uh, a guest of yours that also skis regularly with me here. So that, again, shows the what yeah. I call the loop, you know, we've got someone that goes yeah. out and, and skis with you yeah. and then she comes back and she has a couple of regular lessons with me and, you know, that, that's that's brilliant that that kind of loop bounces backwards and forwards all oh, year does. round. It does and it's just, even if it's just to get the kind of introductory stuff out of the way, you know, all that kind of this is a ski, pushing around on one ski, then two skis yeah. and moving around, all that yeah, stuff, exactly. which is kind of dead time when people are on holiday. Yeah, all right, it's done with a kind of nice view and stuff like that when they're out here. But but actually, if they're already capable of, say, even just doing a, a gliding snowplow or, a, you know, some very sort of snaky snowplowy turns, that is a massive head start for a lot of people. And then they can just get going on our magic carpet and then the next stage, you know, button lift. And I don't know, it just, I think it takes out the uncertainty as well. Yeah. You know, so well, like, what's at least, it going to be like? Even things like just understanding which way the skis go up and what binding does, and you yeah, know, yeah. It kind of just familiarises people a little bit with the, what they're going to take on board. So no, that's that's great. It's great that it's working, and it's I really appreciate your positive comments coming back this way as well. So I can feed that with our teams um, no, in I our do, training here. Please do. I mean, you know, like I say, it's just something from from all of us out here that that you know we appreciate the work that they do. So it's really really good. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, all right. So well. Let's get on to that then. So you gave me a bit of a segue then. So let's do it. So so mountain, you, you know, instructors with experience in the mountain, you, what where you know everyone. So so in our in our like thought bubble, it seems like everyone that I've interviewed, at least fifty percent, has got some sort of connection back to you. Be that Derek, Phil, uh, Scott, Warren you kind of have cropped up a lot which is kind of why I wanted to get you uh, why I wanted to get you on the podcast um did you how, how did it how did you get going in skiing what's your what's your story okay so um you can tell by my accent that you know, I'm kind of from the south of England you know grew up in in Hemel Hempstead okay um my mother's side of the family are Austrian okay um, my father's side of the family were from uh from Ireland so we you know we have a real sort of mixed uh, heritage, but growing up in Hemel Hempstead, the very dry ski slope that you mentioned you learnt on was yeah. obviously my local hill. Okay. So as a as a youngster, as a kid, that would be my passion would be to come and, and practice skiing, and I joined the race club, and I was never really good at that to be fair, but you know it sort of harnessed some skills, and it it gave me a real interest in in skiing. And in those days, we would visit uh, we would visit the Alps, uh, you know, for a, a vacation, a winter vacation. Um, yeah, once if we were, were lucky mm. um, and we had family living in Austria so maybe we'd uh, we'd go out in the summer but my first skiing experience would have been on the, the plastic slope so outdoor plastic slope the very one that mm. that you learned on yeah um, my then my real snow experience was a really strange one we went to Zillertal in Austria in August for a family vacation okay and um, my family uh, my father took us up onto the Hintertux glacier oh, cool. um, in August where I, you know, I sat in the restaurant there and watched these uh, 
people coming down, which would then the glaciers still came right down to the Tuxafona House, the, the kind of main restaurant there. And I yeah. was just bemused and amazed that it's August and there's snow and these people are having such fun. Yeah. Um, so that kind of kick-started my interest. When I went home, I was like, this is, I want to be a ski instructor. You know, and of course, yeah. back in the day there, that would have been in the sort of sort of late 80s. Mm. Yeah, you know, my career my career officer wasn't really overly impressed with. <laughs> hey, what are you going to do? We leave school. I'm going to be a ski instructor. He was like, No, you're not. Don't be silly. Uh, um, but you know, I ignored that advice, which, um, which I'm glad I did, and just pursued this as a profession. Um, so starting on the on the plastic slope, yeah. Um, with with what was then the English Ski Council is now Snowsport England. I don't know if you're familiar with the with that organisation, no, but they they ran a series of awards for. Yeah, basic ski instructor was to get you qualified so that you could teach on your local hill. Okay. So that was my first um, kind of qualification pathway. Yeah. Uh, and then that kind of progressed into Basie for a while because that was the next logical step would be, okay, let's get a qualification that's based um, in a mountain environment. At that time, Basie was very much about uh, Scotland and the mountains and the English Ski Council, now Snowsport England, was very much about domestic skiing you know, on the many dry ski slopes that yeah. existed okay. um, in England at that time. So I did my, what was then called, um, it was called a foundation or a logbook. It was quite a while ago. Yeah. And it was like, a bit like your level one, but it wasn't called a level one, it was called a logbook. Yeah. And then you um, you went on and done your level two. Now, during this period, I was fortunate enough to, to meet um, a guy called Toby Fischl. I don't know if you've come across Toby oh, at all. Wow, Toby's um, coming out to, to work for me might for a week. podcast in the future. But, oh, but oh he, well, he, yeah, that'll be a long one, though, eh? Hi to Toby. Be a long one. Hi to Toby, by the way. He, I, I know he just strolled up at the bottom of a, a training session that I was involved in on the dry slope one day yeah. um, and started talking to me. And he, he as you know, he's a, he's Austrian um, yeah. <clears throat> Austrian guy. Yeah, and you know, he showed a really interest in what we were doing, and you know, I got talking to him. I was only about seventeen or eighteen at the time, and he said, "You, you want to come and work a uh, work in Austria for the Austrian Ski School? I've got some connections. I live in a place called Seefeld, which is yeah. in Tyrol. Still there." Um, and I thought, "Do you know what? That'd be a brilliant idea." So yeah, I discussed it with my family, and at that time, they weren't overly impressed on taking um, sort of foreigners, so to speak. There was no EU at that time, and. You know, so I actually had to, I remember, I had to kind of prove some sort of ancestry to Austria. So I remember oh, wow. getting a copy of my nan's passport, um, which Toby sort of took back and said, look, yeah, this guy he's, lives in England, but he's got a bit of a heritage in Austria. He's really interested in coming to work. He's got some basic qualifications. And they um, they took me on board. So but you spoke German, first, right? My first seasons were working in, in Seyfeld, where I, I worked right. then for quite a few years. And then right. whilst I was there, I... I was fortunate enough to be, be able to take the Anwärter, which is the sort of Austrian level one. Yes, yeah. Um, and they they required that they wanted us to sort of do their courses, which I thought was fair enough. That their system, so did the Austrian courses. Um, yeah, qualified there, and then continued to uh, yeah to work through Basie as well at the time when the, the the qualification structure was slightly different. It was uh, you did sort of foundation and then you three, two, one, one being the highest. Yes. Obviously now it's reversed. It's now one, two, three, four. Yeah. Um, so sort of progressed through that route parallel to working in, in Seyfeld at the time. Oh, so that's cool. kind of the early story. All right. Now, do, do, do you, you speak German, right? Yeah, I speak German. Yeah. So, I'm, okay, I'm so fairly, it wasn't uh, a complete with, leap in the dark with German to, to be honest, when I first went to Austria as a 18, 19 year old, I was lazy with that. Um, but it's really interesting because the, the ski school director, the first year they gave me a bit of grace. 
the second year they were like there's your group they don't speak english which kind of forced me into <laughs> having to use it um and then from then i you know, i take it seriously now I, you know, I speak german quite frequently now yeah I speak german with family i you know, try and speak uh, a bit of german with my my younger daughter um actually all my kids have got uh um you know a fairly good command of uh speaking german my wife's actually half german as well so we, we're quite germanic shall we say okay oh well, that's that's really good there's i think there's a lot to be said for bringing up your kids you know bilingually if you can if you have the opportunity to do that um yeah i mean to to, to, to be to be honest then that would be a, a stretch of of where we are at the moment but they 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 all have they've all done seasons um or most of them actually so my son dan's a professional ski instructor he's done seasons in uh, in austria and now works for Warren Smith, actually, in Verbier. My daughter, Megan, she worked in uh, Leo Gang mm. for a while. Um, we lived as a family in, in Austria for a bit, and the kids went to school there. And then my younger daughter, now Tanuli, she, she's got pretty good command of German, and we mm. kind of use it on, on the school run just for a bit of fun. So, yeah, yeah, we converse. Or if we're in the supermarket and we want to you know, wind some people up, we'll just chat away in, in German. Um, always gets a few funny looks, especially <laughs> with Brexit around the corner. You know, so we do it for a bit of fun, really. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, I can see that. I could see that. All right, so, and then, so that was you up to that point. And, and yeah, we know we know Toby. I can't wait to get him on the podcast. He's got a lot to say. I was going to say that. Oh, that's yeah. going to be a long one, I think, and, and he would admit that. So I'm not, I'm not speaking out of turn. Hi to Toby, uh, if you're there. And, um yeah okay so then so after you came out from austria how did you end up getting so you were involved with basie quite a lot were you and were you a were you a trainer with them or how did your switch to the irish association come about yeah so it was um it was just kind of uh, mixing with with people from different backgrounds and different qualification structures and different interests and we kind of this place actually the the, the ski center before it was the snow center became a hub um and that's what we tr still try to to drive here. So at this centre, uh, you know, when it was a plastic slope, we had Warren Smith working. I mean, if you threw a stone from where our current site is, it would probably land on where Warren grew up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he was around. We had a guy called Ali Smith from Ski Definition. If you're aware of Ali, but yeah, another professional mm -hmm. that works out in Austria and, and various other people. And, you know, people like Phil Brown that I know you've you've interviewed. Yeah. yeah. This this became a bit of a hub. So. People were going away and doing things and then coming back and kind of sharing their knowledge and ideas. And for me, it was natural because I decided I wanted to be a professional ski instructor. It was natural that I would um, yeah, progress through the, the basic system and see what opportunities that um, that threw up. So, so yeah, I, I worked through the, the basic levels and then was a trainer for basic for about eight years, which was a yeah, brilliant experience and, and one that I, I really enjoyed. So delivered uh, many courses in many places. Mm. Um, and then during that period actually so it wasn't after Basie but during that period um, obviously working as a trainee with Basie I was uh, fortunate enough to meet Derek Tate yeah. and yeah, Derek was involved in IAZ and um, he invited me to come along as a, a kind of a guest trainer on some IAZ courses which were, were brilliant so that was another nice. avenue I mean at that point in my career I was trying to be involved in as many things as I could because obviously it gives you more opportunity yeah um, and actually, none of it was conflicting. It was all it was all working quite well. So, so that's kind of how we got involved in, or how I got involved in IAZ. It was really through being invited by Derek, mm. and then um, running some of their courses on their slope over in Dublin. That was more refresher courses or 
ski club of Ireland refreshers we used to we used to run. So they're not directly run by Aisy, but there's lots of Aisy influence there. Mm. And at that time, actually, Derek was inviting um, Basie trainers over as well. So there was just a good a good pooling of uh, of people, um, mm. all at the kind of right time. So yeah, so my 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 career in Basie was. Um, was an enjoyable one, and I'm still a proud Basie member. I still hold my my membership with Basie, but also holding memberships with other organisations so that I can get more of a broader view on 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 skiing rather than just have one fixed idea. Um, so I you know I read a lot of the Austrian stuff. I'm a member of Swiss Snow Sports like mm. yourself, so I get the the magazines. Yeah. Um, I'm a member of uh, IEASY. Obviously, I'm still an educator and director. IEASY. Fortunate enough to go to Interski on three occasions now, so a global audience. That's always really exciting to meet people from, you know, further afield outside of Europe, like the Australians and the Canadians, what have you. I mean, I always found that really inspirational. That that's helped shape ideas and views going forward as well. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That's quite forward looking, isn't it? By by um, Derek, I'd say to invite someone from a rival, well, like a rival, another organisation to deliver a. Um, deliver at IAZ courses. I mean, that I don't think there's enough of that kind of idea swapping that goes on generally in our in our industry or within the national organisations, for sure. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, I think uh, at the time, um, IAZ was tiny at the time. I mean, it's existed since the 80s, but it was it was you know, quite a small organisation. And, and I think um, Derek was just trying to offer something back to members, so bringing people with more experience in Bayesley over to deliver for easy was was about sharing and um and just broadening people's experiences um and i agree with you i think that we can all become a bit too tribal and sometimes i've looked at the industry and seen you know, this organization you know as opposed to that organization and they're trying to shake our ground over here and we're better than them at that and I, I find that bizarre because it's not at all how we work in, in in our business actually we you know we're very open we're very much about trying to learn and exchange ideas and offer experiences and um i think there's so much that that people can learn from just being a bit broader so rather than um you know withdraw and be defensive just kind of look at opportunities that that exist and then um, try and exploit them for the for the betterment of everybody really mm, mm. no i think you're right and i was recently on a Bayesy refresher actually which was very very interesting but there was a few questions that went backwards and forwards in connection with with I think that the, the, one of the overall topics was what new stuff came out of out of Interski, and that was specifically in relation to teaching. Um, but actually, then we ended up sort of going off at a tangent in in relation to how Swiss snow sports talk about skiing and how Daisy talks about skiing. And, and in fact, when you look at it, and if you've read kind of both manuals, and and you know, it'd be the same with the Irish manual, which I'm kind of currently ploughing through for some recreational reading, is that is that we're all kind of talking about the same thing. There's only so many ways you can get a ski to, to move and to turn. And, you know, it's just kind of, it's just the odd difference in word and labels here and there. But I think there's no one out there really doing it mega different from anybody else. There's just kind of no. some, some initial style, uh, some, some like style quirks here and there. But, but otherwise it's, you know, we're all, we're all, we're not, no one's reinventing the wheel as far as skiing is concerned, I don't think. No, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. And, you know, having, as I said, been to three ski events now, there used to be um, 
a bit showboaty, a bit kind of like uh, let's uh, have a window to the world to show what we can do. Yeah. But that that's 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 kind of gone now with the majority of the nations. Now it's all about let's see what's going on around the world to see if there's bits that we can introduce into our system with, to, to introduce eventually to our guests. Let's 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 get inspired. I mean, I easily um, went to winter skiing in Argentina and then into Pamphoro uh, just last winter mm. and it was brilliant just to see what other people are doing and, you know we're not there to showboat you know if, if you if you want to showboat and show show who's the best skier well that's simple that's called the world cup yeah. and you know you can go and see who the best skiers in the world are but actually mm. i'm a ski teacher so you know i need to have a uh, a, a decent level of skiing so that i can show people what how they can improve and i can inspire people hopefully but you know it's actually more about delivering an experience to to guests rather than yeah. Yeah, it's more of outward rather than inward, um, if that makes sense. And um, yeah. that's why I think it's so so good about many of the nations now. It's less showboaty. Who's the best? It's now more. Well, actually, what can we all? What can we give back? At the end of the day, this is an industry whereby we, you know, we sell snow sports experiences to to people that want to come on a holiday and have a vacation or come to my centre or your ski school. So really, we should be focused on how we how we deliver that uh, that to people in, in its most positive form. Um, and I'm pleased to see a lot of the kind of whiskey about the new is is slowly. I mean, it's, it's it's so dated and it's so it's such poor, such a poor mindset for people and organisations to have. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I think it's going. I'm I'm pleased to see that. Yeah, I I still think maybe some of the countries have. And I'm not you know going to single any of them out, but some of them. You know, there are their demo squads are full of kind of guys who raced at a reasonable level and you can see that like in the, in terms of their performances. But off snow, certainly it sounded to me like there was there was a shift in focus at this year's Interski yeah. more in relation to what's the client experience gonna be like and then that then drives skier numbers and gets more people out here to yeah. to, to, to do this yeah, sport that we all love, right? I mean that's that's the point. I, no, I'd agree with that Dave. I'd say of course if you take a you take nations that have got an absolute heritage uh, and tradition um, culture in snow sports, you know, they're going to be absolutely amazing performers. Um, and you can't take that away from them. I think the the gap between the best performers in the world and those that, you know, maybe from countries which don't have a heritage is, is closing, you know, is closing uh, slowly. Mm. But you're always going to have these guys. It's, it's what they do, it's what they live, it's what they breathe. So, but actually, I don't think Interskill was ever about or for us anyway, or for me, challenging that. Interski was about how do we make a bigger pie so that everyone can have a, a slice of it in terms of the industry and actually deliver a, a great experience to uh, to people that want to buy our services. That's that's for me what it's what it's about. And all the nations at Interski were good skiers. Of course, there were some that were amazing skiers, but no, no one was rubbish. They wouldn't be there if they were rubbish. No, 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 no absolutely. So your your journey then. So your main focus, we'll say. So I know that you have connections with various instructor associations throughout Europe. But your principal role these days. Did you? Are you? Forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn. I, I don't know. I can't. I missed the details. But are you? You're. You've now taken more of a an active role within IAZ because Derek has stepped down a little bit now. Yeah, so um, so I've been an educator for AZ for quite some time, and I've actually been a board member probably for six years or so. Um, and then I was a chairman for a while, but then stepped back, and then Derek took the the role as the chairman. Uh, and then obviously Derek's just gone for a process doing his uh, his degree. Yeah, and obviously that's very intense. So I think um, at the end of the season, 
got uh, got into ski, got the Irish into ski team to to the pinnacle of you know where we had a demo team, yeah. full team of people there. I mean, that's quite an amazing um, achievement. And mm. decided really that the, the kind of energy there needed to shift to some other some other projects. Yeah. So um, so he stepped down from uh, from being the chairman. We have another uh, chairperson now. Um, who's in that role, and I'm I'm a, a director uh, looking after education and international affairs. So, to kind of put that in, into some easy to understand context, we have an education pool, which is myself, um, Jamie Kagan, and Federico Cellini. So, yeah. we are the, we are the education pool, if you like. I'm the director that sits on the on the board. Uh, Jamie is the head of education, and Fede kind of manages some of the education projects mm-hmm. um, and the international role uh, would be where I attend the meetings, whether it be for ISI or recently I attended the meeting for uh, in the European Commission, you know, just to kind of stabilise the and, and decide on how we're going to move forward with the, the new European wide recognition scheme. Yeah. Um, so, that, so I'm involved very much at, at that end of IEZ and obviously we have people on the board that have other uh, responsibilities as well. So for me it's more education and international uh, relations okay oh cool that's amazing all right and and that takes up i mean that's a voluntary role and that takes up some of your time how do you how do you square that off with getting away from uh, all your work at the at hemel yeah there's um it is voluntary um and you know in the very nature of being voluntary you need to have a passion for it because mm. you know it's obviously not always convenient we have our meetings in the evenings meetings in the evenings when you've had a day at work you know sometimes yeah you need to sort of fire yourself up for that, but you know I'm passionate about where IEZ has got to and where it can continue to go. Mm. Um, so effectively, there's three things that I'm involved with. Though. There's a uh, the Snow Centre in Hemel Hempstead is is kind of my main uh, role, if you like. I'm one of the senior managers here, um, and obviously a lot of my energy and dedication goes into this project mm-hmm. and uh, projects that we would like to deliver in the future. I have an agreement here where there's a certain amount of weeks that I um, that I keep aside from this business to be able to focus on other products. The other two projects I'm involved with is IEASY, mm-hmm. as we just discussed. Yeah. And I run a small small business called Alpine Coaching, which is um, we basically run four or five courses uh, throughout the year for skiers that are you know, wanting to have a bit of a, an experience and a bit of an adventure, mainly aimed at probably skiers that are kind of instructor level who want to get away and work on their performance, improve their performance, and well, we visit some more interesting places as well. So we run a trip down to uh, Macedonia and the Balkans and you know, visit Slovenia and you know, slightly off the off the pace places just so that people get an experience and adventure mixed in with their with their development as well. So they're the kind of three avenues that I'm taking there yeah. in, in my professional life. Okay. Well, while while we're talking about that, let's 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 jump straight into that. So, your your trips are poor business. You you visit some amazing places, and I was trying to get on one of them a while back, but I lost the time. It didn't work out. I remember, yeah. yeah, I know. And um, so, and that was in Slovenia, wasn't it? It was some sort of backcountry thing. Um, That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm on this thing where I'm trying to visit different places each year, and I think I think I'm trying, I'm desperately trying to find a date with Toby so I can go and ski in Germany. And I know that doesn't sound very glamorous, but no, it's, it's cool. a, it's cool it's a country I haven't visited, so, so I'm going to go and visit him and, and ski there at the same time. And it's not that far. I mean, you jump in the car, I can head down the motorway, and I, I can be there in you know five hours or something. It's not yeah, so of course, yeah. Um, so your your trips business. Let's 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 jump into that. Where's where are you off to this this winter? So we've um 
we've we've done one one trip to Dubai Glacier, which we did okay. in October. Yeah. Um, we took ten people out. I shared that actually with with Ali Smith. So again, a lot of the professionals in the industry were sort of worked together. Yeah. So we we, we took a group uh, between us. So that was three or four days some technical skiing because obviously it's on a glacier and the snow conditions at that time of year are mm. they are what they are. You know, you, yeah, you, yeah. you're not going to be getting off the side or anything like that. No. The next trip um, I'll make will be actually on Saturday. So our hub, if you like, our our kind of base is Hintertooks Glacier. It has been for many years. Yeah. Because great, great facilities, good, good uh, snow record, great hotels. Yeah. So I have forty people out there um, oh, wow. for, for a week, starting next week. So that's probably the biggest course we we run. Um, so that's, yeah, and I take t- four or five trainers with me, and yeah. again, pe- people will be um, kind of level one instructor level or candidate instructor level, all the way up to, to people that have you know passed their level three and are just looking to tweak things and possibly looking to move on to to level four. So they're not necessarily instructor training courses they just tend to attract quite a lot of instructor type people but that said there's some some very regular clients of mine that ski um yeah three or four times a year yeah, i'm just looking for an experience and a bit of a, a technical tune-up yeah yeah that's, that's, that's going to be cold there isn't it intertux ne- next week's going to be minus 17 so we're gonna it generally is pretty cold this time I went, so, yeah we'll be putting uh, on the, the big jackets next week i think i went i went race training i'm sure it was in december or november with sean langmer it was like four or five years ago oh, and yeah, it was yeah. in intertux at that time of year and my god i've never been so cold in my life I, yeah it's, it's cold my boots I mean, I love froze. Don't get me wrong. I've been there many, many times and yeah. all different times of the year. But yeah, it's a, it's a glacier. It's high altitude skiing, and once you're up on the glacier, I mean, I believe now that they're skiing into the valley and what have you. So yeah, yeah. find some some shelter as well. But well, then fo- following that, I'll um the snow centre have uh, a, a sponsor. Um, we always work with uh, with partners, and our 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 new partner is um um. Nielsen Holidays, you may have heard of them. You know, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they run a winter yeah. program, also a, a summer program. Um, so we've partnered up with them, mm. and as part of that partnership, I, the centre will uh, organise groups. I think we have three or four groups this year that will that will go away with instructors from our centre mm. and guests from our centre. So we've got one in in January that goes out to Andorra, and that's um, we call it. Funny enough, it's called our Mischief Group, but that's a, that's a group that meet regularly on a on a Tuesday night, mainly snowboarders, but not necessarily. Yeah. And they're led by our uh, our kind of coach, a guy called Rob Needham, who's been in the industry for a long time. And they're, yeah. they're a real fun, orientated, snowboardy, jibby type group of all ages, um, you know, young people as well as uh, kind of people my age. Um, yeah. So that goes out in January. I will then lead a group uh, to Val de Fassa, which is Dolomites, right. Um, right. in middle of January. Yeah. Um, and then the centre has uh, another group with our senior instructors that will go out to, to Meyerhofen uh, in Zillatel as well. And then one right at the end of the season um, in France. So mm. so we have we have these these sessions that are organised by the centre, which I'll be involved in. Mm. Um, I'll take a fleeting visit to visit Jamie and Fede um, uh, in Verbier. So I'm, I'm organised a couple of days just literally on a plane. Yeah. Have a bit of a catch up. Uh, be great to catch up with my my son uh, Dan Gillespie. He works for the Warren Smith Academy, so yeah. he's based there. So good to catch up with him. I'll take my wife along as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be a short trip, and then we really get into it here, the same as you will in the Alps. We are then uh, through to the end of February. This is going to be manic at the snow centre, getting people prepared for their 
for their sort of midterm holiday. So so I base myself, you know, I, I don't I don't take any time out mm. between um, really middle of January all the way through to the end of Feb, and then we'll head down to to Macedonia, um, mm. where we cat ski. Um, so there's an operation, great operation down there called Shah uh, Outdoors, um, professional guides, brilliant people. So we'll we do a couple of days cat skiing and I'll lead a few few tours as well. So we do a bit of skinning. Um, interesting place, Macedonia. I mean, it's uh, it's obviously a bit broken up um, yeah. in terms of service levels, but the people are wonderful and the mountains are fascinating and there's fantastic snow conditions there. Yeah. And it's, it's a real experience. It's nothing like the Alps at all. I mean, now, how much you know about Macedonia, but obviously the former Yugoslav Republic, it was probably the poorest of all the, uh, the, the, the republics that made up Yugoslavia with um, Slovenia being the richest. So, mm. you know, you, you, you see a real contrast when you go from Slovenia to, to Macedonia. And I've travelled yeah. quite quite extensively in the Balkans uh, at other times of the year as well. Yeah. My little fascinating place. But the, the, the capital city, Skopje, is all, a lot of it's all Ottoman, so you've got your mosques and what have you, and it's ethnically Albanian, so there's a real, there's a real interesting vibe going on there. Yeah. The mountains are great fun to, to, to ski on. Um, so we have a, a fantastic kind of, it's, it's kind of the weirdest place you can go without going too far out of Europe, really. But yeah. It feels like you're probably in sort of Central Asia when you're there. It's, it's got a real vibe to it. It's a great, great place. I highly recommend it. And cheap as chips. Unbelievably yeah. cheap. Yeah. When are you going there? Twenty seventh of February, we head down there for. Oh. I think we're, we're probably ski for five days. So we tend to do short, shortish trips in and out. Damn, I really fancy that one, but I'm uh, I'm working. <laughs> Damn it! Damn it! Okay, what you got going on in March? That, I'd imagine that's one of your busy busy periods, and then and then we come home for a few weeks, and then we head to Slovenia, where I found a most. Listen, it's no, it's no, uh, no surprise or no secret. Slovenia is probably one of my most favourite countries in the yeah. whole world. Yeah. Um, I visit it quite frequently. It's very, very close to where my family lives. They're just over the border in a place called Backlein Kirchheim, which is in yeah, Canton or Corinthia in Austria. Yeah. So Slovenia is a short, short drive, fifty-minute drive to places that people would know, like Lake Bled. I mean, yeah, that's like, like most people know Lake Bled. But if you drive a bit further up the valley, yeah. you come to Lake Lake Bohin, which is actually, I think, nicer. It's more natural. There's less kind of tourism around there. Yeah. But just a, just above Lake Bohin, there's a, a little ski area called Vogel. Yeah. Um, tiny, you know, probably 35 kilometers of skiing, but it, it, the opportunities to go off the side and do little bits and little mini tours and little off-piece adventures are just uh, endless. And it's interesting, it's not particularly high. It's probably up to about 1,900 meters, but because of its proximity to the Adriatic, it gets a massive snowfall. It's not unusual for them to still be running a lift there um, in early May, you know, for one run for skiing. It's just It just gets... An amazing amount of snow because the, the the moist air comes off the Adriatic. Yeah, the height, it first hits those mountains first before anything else, and just dumps snow. So it's um it's a fascinating place, but just just very pretty as well. And Slovenia is a mixture of Austria, Italy, with a Balkan twist. So it's kind of got just everything that's interesting about it. Yeah, yeah. Love the proof. Oh, and then cool. following that, Dave, we always end the season with another Hintertux bash around Easter. So I'll take a group back to Tux by then. The weather's warmer. We've discussed tucks mm. and its uh, yeah, yeah. temperatures. By, by then, the weather's warmer. They've generally had a lot of snow. Um, so there's lots of good snow depths, and it means that skiing below the glacial line, so obviously you wouldn't want to ski off-piste no. on a glacier, but mm. below the glacial line, they have these things that they call in uh, Austria ski route, basically, which I think is probably itinerary in, um, yeah. Yeah. in Switzerland or France. 
So basically marked controlled off piece routes where there's this big bowl below the glacier that's just endless, fantastic uh, opportunities to, to ski nice long kind of off piece routes. Sometimes you're getting powder, sometimes you're getting spring snow that time of year. Yeah. Um, very accessible. And the interesting thing about the sort of culture in, in that part of Austria is most people are sort of peace carvers, peace cruisers. So you, yeah. a lot of this stuff you have to yourself. Oh, right. Yeah, so we we literally have this big domain where we yeah we ski uh, ski off piste and variable interesting conditions, all terrain, and yeah we're not having to share it with um, a thousand suites or, or people from Finland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good, right? I'm going to get on your website and check out the uh, check out the options available to me in March and whether I'm free. Yeah, you're always uh, welcome to come along. But you come along as a sort of uh, you know, guest, guest coach and just come and see what we do and you know, meet some people. You'd love it. The um the, so this this fascination for the 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 Balkans for you because yeah you're right you you are it seems to me fairly obviously obsessed with the place like well, what what is it that does it does it for you in that part of the world I think uh, because obviously I have family that they weren't from the Balkans but they come from yeah. Austria and Hungary so you know, I have a background in both those countries and um, which are sort of border border the Balkans and then just having nipped into the Balkans from my parents' place. Yeah, you know, into Slovenia, which was yeah, you know, dipping your toe in the water. Mm. What what went well? Former Yugoslavia. I remember the first time I went, I was like, "Oh, this would be a bit edgy," you know. <laughs> former former communist, and it actually it was, it was fascinating. And then um, again, more linked to the fact that geographically it's close to my parents. We used to then go to Croatia for our summer holiday. So I'd drive down from England, stay in my parents' place, and then four hours from uh, southern Austria, you're on the, the Croatian coast. Yeah. So, so that you know, I was just expanding a little bit, thinking, oh yeah, this is this is this is a bit edgy down here, and just mm. like the people, like the culture, like the fact that they drink rakia, which is one of my favourite drinks, <laughs> like the fact that everything was a bit organic, it wasn't kiss me quick hats and that kind of business. Yeah. So, so then started to travel further. So, been over into into uh, Serbia, um, down into obviously uh, Macedonia as well. Um, had a couple of trips to Bosnia, which is such a fascinating country because you were then getting the, the kind of the real clash of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, yeah, which yeah. would be you know, Vienna and Budapest, and then you know, right clashed right next to it, you get the Ottoman Empire. So mm. literally in Sarajevo, you walk down the street and there's a line in the street that's that's kind of is a demarcation between Austro-Hungary and the Ottoman Empire. And oh wow, it's fascinating. So you know, all the mosques and the culture that was there as well. But also the history of the, the place fascinates me, how it changed hands yeah, from Austro-Hungary. Uh, Ottomans had a big part there. Then it became Yugoslavia and, you know, then that broke up. And we all know if you grew up in the 90s, you know, if you was an adult in the 90s, you'd be aware of the brutality that took place there, which fascinates me how people yeah. can, you know, still kind of have that level of hatred. So I guess I'm fascinated by the history as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But it is a very interesting place with a, uh, with an amazing culture, I'd, I'd recommend anyone to uh, who wants a bit of adventure and you know, doesn't want to fly you know, seven or eight hours. You can you can find it in the Balkans. Um, you know, I'm, I haven't been to Albania, but that'd be my next uh, my next port call would be to, mm. to to have a look around there as well. I have to say, I so I skied um, I skied that must be two years ago in Romania. Yeah. So my wife is Romanian, and um, oh, I love that country. Like uh, you know, it's um it's like you like you say, it's kind of a bit uh, it's a bit rough around the edges, same as Balkans maybe, but the people are so friendly and there's so much energy in these countries compared yeah, agree, to yeah. compared to sort of what you call I don't know, maybe older um not older, that's the wrong word, but but older sort of capitalist societies on, you know, like the UK and whatever, you know, there's just 
there's this sort of raw kind of uh, post-communism uh, energy that really drives drives those countries on. I, I find it it's so refreshing to go to there. Go to yeah. go there. And yeah, I think you, I think you obviously you you, you've, uh, you have a, an understanding of that with your wife and traveling to mm. to Romania. I was saying that um, I had family um, who grew up in, in Hungary. You know, yeah. my, I still have one very old aunt that I just visited. Actually, that's uh, she's ninety four, still living uh, in Hungary. So when we were growing up as kids in the UK, yeah. obviously in those days you remember this because I, I reckon you're probably in the same generation as me you know the yeah. iron curtain existed it was all very mystical what went on behind there and i do yeah. remember we used to send clothes and things over and yeah. travel was restricted my auntie could visit but not with her husband they couldn't come together and yeah yeah that kind of fascination with what went on over there yeah. um yeah still to this day fascinates me and now you know i, I go to i've just come back from hungary i was there at the weekend I go once yeah. twice a year and then um, and and to sort of listen to the stories that my grandmother would uh, would have told if she's now dead it's her sister that i that mm. i visit my great great aunt and you know, she would have lived through the back end of just as the austria hungarian empire collapsed so she was yeah. born in 1924 so just a, a few years after that and obviously entered the second world war and then entered a period of 40 years of communism and now obviously they're in the eu so mm. you know talking to talking to someone from that generation is an absolute living history book that fascinates me the whole the whole thing yeah no for sure and i, I have to say you know it really for speaking to my wife about growing up under communism and what it was like i really really have to say frustrated without being overly political the 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 people that are advocating or, or the, the situation you've currently got in the uk at the moment where you know you've almost got a kind of out outright marxist kind of opposition in in, in parliament these guys, they don't know what they're advocating for, man. Like when you, you you hear some of these stories about what it was like to grow up like that, it's it's absolutely extraordinary, you know. It's yeah, just, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe these, maybe these people don't have that that insight. That, no. You know, you're, you're lucky enough to have uh, yeah witnessed too through for your wife and, and me through family as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Pete's a great guy, and it really shows in um, in the in the interview that we we had. I really really enjoyed speaking to him. Um, in part two, as we carry on, we uh, we talk a little bit more about um, the snow center, its operation, how it runs indoors. Um, we also sort of tangent off onto the topic of a lot of young younger race younger age group race teams going indoors, um, doing their training there. Um, that's something I've heard a lot about. Uh, from from local race teams um, over the course of certainly the last two years in terms of getting more repetition um, and less sort of days lost to uh, to wild sort of glacier summer weather. Um, we also have a little bit on a sort of early season technical focuses, which I thought might be interesting to some of you. And um, and yeah, we finish off with uh, with the usual kind of where you can find Pete that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I wishing you all a very, um, very, very good season uh, to come. Um, my next podcast interview is later on in December, and I'm heading over to see. Um, I'm actually, it's been an interview I've been looking forward to for a long time. I'm off to see uh, uh, the famous Simon Butler, and um, we're going to chat and give him a chance to tell his side of the story 
about his um, about his various court cases and, and situations with uh, with teaching in France. And some of you might have known that that he's uh, he's just recently won a court case uh, against the French, which um, hopefully he's going to enlighten us enlighten us all on further in terms of uh, in terms of the details of that other than what people might have heard already so uh, I thought it was about time that he had a, a chance to tell his side of the story and uh, and hopefully this podcast is going to be able to do that for him so uh, enjoy the second half of the podcast um, and I will see you on the next one which will be maybe later on uh, in December um, stay safe on the mountain enjoy yourself and uh, enjoy all the fresh snow and see you soon bye It sounds like you've got a busy winter there. Let's um, so I want to take you just back over to the 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 day to day running of the snow. Is it snow center? It's called now. Yeah, we're called the, the snow center. The yeah, snow center, Hempstead, right? Yeah. The snow center is Hemel Hempstead. So the I does it have seasonal fluctuations? Because I would have always thought that it would be quiet in winter because everyone else is over here, but evidently that's not the case. No, I mean, the, the, the place is absolutely rocking in the winter. And um, throughout the summer, we're busy as well. But it does have, uh, obviously, a fluctuation. But the what we would call the shoulders of the business are, are a lot, they're a lot kind of flatter now. So you don't have these massive drop-offs, mm. you know, where basically end of winter and then it all just finishes. I would say, um, yeah, May and early part of June are our quietest period. And then probably early September. And I think that's because people are just in that transition phase from summer winter yeah you know the weather's getting you know in the spring the weather's getting nicer people get the bikes out they go out walking more so yeah maybe they pack their skis away and then in september as well september's from their months it's always transitional is it autumn is it summer is it a bit of both i mean this year it was it was quite autumnal whereas sometimes september can be a beautiful month people are still barbecuing so there are quieter months but it ramps up i mean our season here probably around um February half term, uh, sorry, around October half term is when it, it sort of definitely is a step change into it's yeah. now winter. Okay. And that will go all the way through now till um till after half term. And depending on where Easter falls, that either continues or um or drops a little bit. But it mm. it's never it's never dead apart from maybe a couple of weeks of the year. Mm. Or if the weather's beautiful after a horrendous winter, then people obviously want to spend a bit of time yeah um outside but no it's 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 busy it's very busy all right okay and you've got presumably in addition to your staff so scott was telling us that you your staff there so you you are working for the um you're running the the mountain in effect a similar setup to the us and you you teach all the people up to a certain level and that cut off is what a sort of basic parallel, and then after people can come in and and teach, um, uh, how would you say, teach more slightly more advanced stuff. So people like Scott and, and Warren and, and Derek and whatever, and, and those guys they can come in and do do sort of clinics or whatever. Yeah, so 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 um, we we are kind of a mainstream snow sports school. So if you're yeah, our, our market is beginners, children, families, people preparing for a holiday, that sort of stuff. So I always describe it as a pyramid. So if you imagine the base of a pyramid is wider than the tip of the pyramid, yeah. you know, the, kind of, the stuff at the bottom there is, 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 is our bread and butter. That's our market. Hmm. Um, and then what happens is um, the, the, the people um, who want a higher end, just 
Dave, let's just bear with me for a minute. Yeah, Sorry, no mate. worries. That's right. We go with this bit of a minute. That again. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so the, the main focus at the snow centre will be dealing with um, families, kids, beginners, first timers. Um, you know, people that are new to snow sports or, or quite early on the journey. I would always describe uh, um, you know, our, our business a bit like the shape of a pyramid. So the bottom is very, very broad. Um, that's where our bread and butter is. And yeah. as you move up the pyramid, obviously, it gets a bit more specialised. Now, of course, at the snow centre, we can teach we can teach the pinnacle of the, the pyramid as well because mm. we've got instructors at all levels at the snow centre, from level ones to level four. So yeah. we have the expertise. But actually, our focus is is around... Um, the sort of bottom to middle part of the uh, yeah of the pyramid. Now, in recent years, we've been we've been running ten years now. In recent years, we've recognised that actually more and more people want to stay on the journey with with the snow centre, not because they're any better than anyone else, but it's just because they've started the journey. So, you know, ten years on, people are becoming quite good skiers. That started with us, yeah, you know, ten years ago, eight years ago. So now we are running more higher end. Um, courses and generally they would be they would be hosted by myself or you know, another level four instructor or level three instructor and mm-hmm. uh, some of our coaches. However, with what we call the externals, we've always had the mindset that we want to be a hub. I think I mentioned that some time ago in this um, in this podcast. Now the hub basically means we want to attract the best people to be associated with our facility. Mm-hmm. So rather than um, rather than take the approach that we don't want external instructors, which is what some of the other um, operators have done we're, we're the complete opposite we want external instructors to to, to bring their guests to the state center introduce them to to what we do here mm. um take lessons with 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 them with the externals because you know these people are then going to go away and say you know i i, I ski with dave burrows at the snow center at hemel hempstead but if you're a beginner you know they've got a great snow sports school there got a lovely restaurant a lovely, yeah, lovely yeah, uh, it's free market, facilities right? so we, we just see is it it, it it grows the business, and I mentioned earlier on that our mindset is to grow the pie rather than reduce the pie. And then everyone, everyone's you know, getting a bit more out of it. It's just the way that we, you know, we talk about here at Snow Center, our DNA. So our DNA is very much in that mindset of uh, sharing, growth, attract the best people, work with the best people, rather than rather than shutting down. So yeah, you have uh, Warren Smith ski courses that run here. You have um, obviously the guys from uh, Inside Out Ski mm. Definition. James Bennett from Basie runs some stuff here. Yeah. Basie run their courses here along with IEZ. So, you know, we really want to be that central hub for anything snow sports. Mm. You know, c- come here, we'll, we'll find the solution for you, whether it be with us or one of our partners. And we see these externals as partners. That's exactly what they are. They're industry partners. It's good, right? I mean, it's nice. It's refreshing to hear that 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 approach of, you know, we've got to grow the pie. And we've got to work together, really, because it doesn't... You know, it's not like anyone is taking work off anybody else. The more people we can get in snow sports, the better, right? It's it. It has to be that way. It has to be that way in order for us all to to keep doing this. We're on a similar mindset, Dave, as well. That you know, we are you know we are a a single site um, indoor snow facility. Yeah, we think we're pretty good at it. But equally, we we wouldn't want someone to have a poor experience at another indoor facility as well, Mm. because if someone goes to an indoor facility for the first time, might not be our one. And they have a poor experience. The chances are they're never going to go to anyone again. No. So, so again, you're reducing the, you know, the size of the market. So, you know, so we, we don't really see our other uh, operators as competitors as such. You know, we don't look at it. That's not our mindset. We want people to have a, a, a great time at another facility. Mm. So that actually, they they view indoor snow sports as 
a positive experience. Well, it's yeah. Just I the way we think about it. I suppose probably if your your average client would not really differentiate between indoor snow centres in general anyway, would they? They wouldn't say, oh, well, you know, Hemel is definitely a separate place to, I don't know, Chill Factory or whatever, because they, they look the same, they kind of feel the same, you know, maybe there's a bit of difference in branding, but essentially an indoor snow centre in the north is the same as one in the south. You know, yeah, we, we, we basically all do the same thing. You know, we have a facility, mm. we, we fill it with snow, and then we give people an experience inside the snow. And to use mm. exactly your uh, example there, if someone goes into um, Chill Factor in Manchester and has a great time, but yeah. their auntie lives in London, um, you know, we want them to say, Joe, we went to Chill Factor, it was brilliant. You've got one near you, it's called the Snow Centre. Why don't you go there? Yeah, so everybody is is, is getting a, uh, you know, we, we live in a society now where people live all over the place. Mm. So it's, it's a way in which um, you know people can experience indoor snow as a positive experience. I'm you know, I'm pretty confident and proud of what we do here, and we're a, we're a great operator. But you know we don't we don't have the mindset that you know, we're better than anybody else. You know we want everyone to have a great time in any snow facility wherever you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many instructors are you running out out of uh, out of your operation? And a busy and a busy period. So the busy period is now between the end of February. We we run on about 150. Wow. Um, so you'd imagine majority of those part-time instructors um, yeah. who are given a yeah, sort of a, an evening shift or a weekend shift, and actually there's there's probably a point where two hundred would be what I need. We're always sort of scratching around a bit at the absolute peak, and then in the, in the summer that reduces probably down to um, sort of fifty or sixty core instructors that still keep the weekend shift or are still um, keen to stay involved, and then others obviously go off and get involved in you know, other summer activities, tennis and mountain biking and, and that kind of thing. Mm. So it's quite a flexible, fluid uh, team of people, but we, you know, we we, we really are a, a hands-on team. So very much an open door policy at the Snow Centre. Access to the managing director, a guy called Ian Brown. Mm. Access to myself. Uh, access to our our marketing manager. You know, it, it's all it's all fluid. So that you know, any team member at any level can can. You know, we don't have a big hierarchy here. You know, yeah. you, you know, you, you'll you'll often see. Our managing director Ian Brown handing up boots behind rental as you will, um, sitting in a finance meeting. That's just the, the culture that we have, and we all yeah. we all have that we all have that DNA. So if I walk through the restaurant and there's a plate that's been left because the the, the kitchen team are, are busy, then that plate's picked up by by me and taken into to you know, to the kitchen and I'll serve food. So it's just the way we've developed the, the culture of the business. That's interesting. That's really really interesting. Can you compare that to the last podcast that we did with? Uh... With John uh, at Aspen, and he's got, I mean, 1,500 instructors or something he said there, or 1,500 on his yeah. staff. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it, by the nature of it, I think it has to be fairly hierarchical. But, yeah, um, yeah I quite like those flat instructors and uh, structures, rather, because I think yeah, it just yeah. kind of keeps everyone honest, doesn't it? Like, you, sort of everyone is, you know, I'm not better than you just because I've got a slightly, you know, better job title. We're all essentially out there because we love the same thing. No, exactly, exactly, exactly. That's exactly how how we, uh, you know, how we we view the business. I mean, we're we're serious about what we do at the Snow Centre uh, in terms of delivering a guest experience. Yeah, you know, we're serious. We like to call ourselves serious fun. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a fun activity, but we're serious about delivering that activity in a in a way that's that's high quality, and that that requires the teams to pull together and have a slightly different mindset to maybe your traditional structure of a business. I'm. Yeah, you know, I've been out teaching this morning. You know that because we couldn't make the call yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just as happy to go out and, and and teach a lesson as I am to sit and discuss strategy or marketing with a 
you know, my, my, my colleagues as well, yeah. um, equally give out boots and, uh, and you know, deal with any other issues that are day to day. And I think that also builds uh, confidence and trust in the teams. Yeah. You know, if the, if the team, teams see the senior people doing the same work, then that for me is um, yeah. demonstrating leadership. No, you're quite right. So what what happens then to somewhere like uh, the snow centre when you kind of reach capacity? The the trend in Europe is for these enormous indoor snow places, places like Landgraf and uh, what's the other one in in Germany? Is it Baden? Baden Württemberg. There's one in Noise. There's a few actually. Yeah, um, I mean, there's, there's Bottrop. Yeah, there's a few around around a, Europe. They're enormous, and I'm starting to hear more and more about these. And I'll tell you why. Is because I'm I, I sort of know a whole bunch of as they've been growing up I know a whole bunch of age group skiers, who are skiing for you know ski valet ski vo whatever team vo, and those those guys are are choosing especially for slalom training, they're not going to the glaciers anymore. Those uh those those younger teams what they're doing and my neighbour said this because his kid skis for ski valet he's a decent skier. Um, and he said they worked out this is this is ski valet they worked out that when they go to Zermatt for a full morning session uh, say I don't know they get up early go up there do four hours on the mountain come back they get 12 minutes in the gates in total and they said if they go indoors so if they take the journey and they go I don't know Landgraf or wherever it might be you know they can just get so much more repetition done that these places are becoming really, really popular now, um, and and I wonder, I wonder. Well, there's two questions. One, have you noticed that? But secondly, have you? You know, I, I, get, I imagine you're on the inside in terms of trends and stuff. But um, but also, what what are the future plans? Like uh, Hemel, is is there any plans to make it bigger, or is there any space to do so? Or, or what's the what's the future look like? So I've seen um, I've I've seen exactly what you're you're talking about. I've been to some of the European um indoor facilities i've been to the out to the one in dubai as well so fortunate to see a few of them yeah. uh, around the world um now that the market is slightly different so this is where the european thing differs slightly that lungruff is a perfect example of a center that has really set itself up to deal exactly with what you've uh, you just described race teams and they yeah. do it to a really high level and i think you're quite right i think some of the some of the top teams in the world will train indoors because they're not going to get blown off uh, by the wind. The yeah. snow condition is going to remain pretty consistent. Um, they're getting uh, quick repetition. They're not far from the accommodation. Is not far from the training piece. Yeah. Often it's actually in the same building. Yeah. They've got gym. They've got nutrition. So it's kind of a micro training centre. So the European models tend to, from what I've seen, they tend to set themselves up as a, a kind of elite training centres. Um, mm. Whereas we're more recreation. Going back to my pyramid anal- analogy, you now we're yeah. dealing with the market of family beginners, first timers. I mean, just look at our, our catchment area of London, one of the biggest cities in the world, mm-hmm. 10 million people. And then if you branch out down to the south coast and out to the east as well, you're now probably looking at you know, 20, 30 million people live within a short distance from, um, yeah. from our facility. So so our, our business is, 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 is basically built around that demand. Um, then you see some huge centres going up in, in China, yeah. Uh, which I've not been to, but a few, few people I know have. Um, so the, the indoor snow sports market is definitely emerging. I think because um, people are looking for experiences these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they've, they've got a lot of choice. They can do anything pretty much from your phone. You can book any experience. You can 
Mm. You can go skydiving, you can go indoor skiing, you can go bowling, you can go go-karting, you can go to the Canary Islands, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You can do it all, all within seconds of picking up your yeah. your mobile phone. Yeah. So some of the centres tend to be more experience-driven, some of them tend to be more training-driven. At the moment in the UK, all the existing centres are more based around that um, that recreational experience. Um, and actually, we've we've done the numbers and looked at like a megadome for us. We don't think would would quite work. It would probably be too costly to to be able to you know get a, a return mm. um, or a decent return. However, we do think that there is room in the in the country for some further indoor facilities. Um, you know, and obviously we are we are one hundred percent committed to to looking and exploring any opportunities that might. That might arise. We, you know, we, we're, we're interested in being progressive as as a business, and you know, opening the second, third snow centre would be yeah. definitely uh, something that we are, yeah, committed to doing at yeah. some point when the correct opportunity comes forward. Okay, yeah, cool, 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 cool. All right. Um, no, fine. I mean, so all right, interesting times for them for the in, in, indoor. Um, I, I heard, so, and that, sorry, that was, you did touch on another point, which, which I thought was really interesting that I heard on a, I think it was a PSIA podcast that they were talking about and they just brought a US race team back from one of the indoor, um, one of the big ones. I can't remember it was, it is in Germany somewhere. And they said uh, exactly the same thing. They don't lose any time, right? They lose yeah. so much more time on the snow. And then, like I said, the accommodate you take your boots off and you walk straight into your room, so you don't have to <laughs> schlep. You know, it's not like Sass Fair; you schlep through halfway through the town, and you have to spend forty minutes coming down on the forty minutes coming down on the lift. You know, it's um, it's. I guess it's a question of maximising training for those guys. Yeah, I think you're right, and um, I think that's that's why they're so attractive to you know, to, to teams because of what they can get into their day. Obviously, you know, I've, I've been up on the Sasfe. In fact, I met you on the on the train in yeah, Sasfe right. a couple of years ago now. Yeah. And um, you know, as much as a great experience it is, you're not going to take away the beautiful mountains and the wonderful Swiss village that, yeah. that kind of thing. But you know, it's it's quite a lot of travelling time, isn't it? You say you no, walk through true. the village. Yeah. You're on the lifts. The lifts then take a while. You get up the top, and then it's busy. And yeah, you mm. for training as opposed to ski holiday experiences, training tends to take place on the glaciers out of season and then holiday experiences kicking around about Christmas. Now holiday experience is totally different. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure going to Sasfe or any Alpine resort, you know, in a in a in a decent December day is a, it's a different experience to going there to train. Yes. Yes. Um, which we've all we've 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 done both. You know, mm. I'm sure you and I have both done both. I've gone to train on a glacier mm. because I needed to you know get improved to get exams or take exams. Equally yeah. I've had holidays we've been working with holiday makers. The the, the, the two take place in the Similar place, but you know, have a different different angle. So the indoor facilities, I think, are going to be you know, f- quite uh, fundamental in in becoming training centres, mainly in Europe, because that's where a lot of the kind of teams mm. are based. However, you, you may be aware that, that America are just opening their first indoor centre, which is just around the sort of New York area. Oh, really? Um, okay. It's been built for ten years and dormant, and you know, oh, I've seen that one of it. In, um, I think we've had meetings with the yeah, New Jersey owners, and it, it yeah. just sort of stood there and was a bit of a sort of ghost town but yeah. they've now got that fixed up snow is in and i believe they open in the next week or two so america has its first indoor facility okay. uh, opening very soon oh that's cool all right oh, it's happening happening everywhere yeah right. well okay well let's um let's finish on something semi-technical and I, ha- I didn't put this on my list so i'm ambushing you a little bit with it but um so i've got let me see on saturday and uh, 
don't know, I'm introducing this as a bit of a bit that, you know, it's pre-season and maybe some ski instructors will be interested in it. But uh, it's pre-season. I'm taking a group on Saturday, a big school group from an international school here. And it's part of their ski squad and they're going to go and do some basics. Uh, or well, my idea is to go up there. Some of them, it'll be the first time they put on skis this year. I'm personally going to work on with them, you know, lots of stuff to do with balance being centered over the, the, the sort of middle of their skis most of the time. Um, and then sort of, you know, working through the, the, the ways, different ways that a ski turns and kind of different things related to that. What, what kind of early season advice would you be giving to, I don't know, a similar group or, or people just going out to the, the mountains, you know, for the first time, because I, I well, not for the first time, but you know, let's say when they go out on their vacation or, or training or whatever, because this is, um, I don't think this podcast is only listened to by ski instructors anymore. So maybe that'll be useful for some people. Yeah, so um, what you described is, is pretty much on the same page. So this, this weekend, I will start my, uh, or we will run our second um, training course with Alpine Coaching, which will attract people of varying uh, ability levels. But throughout the whole ability level, from the people that are kind of newer to what we're doing, all the way up to those that are training for you know, maybe their level three um, qualification or just good skiers, we will work on the first couple of days on standing well on the skis and balancing. So stance and balance. I'm a real believer that that is a foundation of, uh, of, of good skiing. Mm. Um, and, and we'll 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 do some drills and some exercises to kind of challenge that, to, to manage that, to to see how how big a scope they have got to to balance, um, and then move on to other things, bolt other things onto that. But before we start looking at you know different ways in which we can influence the the, the, the skis turning capabilities or look at different turn types, we will make sure or try to install in people that um, you know the way in which they stand on a on a ski or a pair of skis is going to have an effect that all their output movements are going to go through. So posture and balance for me is, is absolute foundation. It's You get that in place, then you can, you know, we always heard the analogy, I'm sure you heard it before, you don't build a house from the roof down, you build it from the foundation up. And that's <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's how we would work. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? The only the only difficulty with that, and I had it last weekend as well with the, the, the other, or group one of this particular group, was that sometimes that can get a little bit old, I think, if you're sort of 11 years old or 12 years old or whatever. Um, so you kind of have to mix that up. You know, you have to sort of, I don't know, find a bunch of things. You know, I personally, I split the morning and the afternoon. I said, right, if you give me your best efforts, you know, this morning with all this tech stuff I'm gonna we're going to do, then this afternoon we'll do a bunch of know, fun stuff. So, you know, after that we were we, we were doing synchro and some other bits and pieces like cat and mouse and whatnot. And and that seemed to be the right sort of pitch to, to do it. I don't think you can necessarily go down the route of doing sort of four or five hours of purely tech drills. I think it's probably a little bit too much. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that, that obviously yeah, it drains people as well in terms of their enthusiasm and their energy. So, now we would a typical day for us would be to get up and have a warm up run. You get on the mountains, have a warm up run, sort of set the scene, see what we're dealing with. What's the weather yeah. like today? Sunny, cold, windy, snowy. You know, just get a bit of an idea because that obviously would help with the planning of the day. And then you're quite right. You know, a good a good hour and a half, two hours of kind of intense um, training, and then our afternoon sessions tend to be let's go for a ski and yeah. have a bit of fun, and explore explore some new terrain, and actually see if any of the tech training has transferred over. So you yeah. know, we do drills. To build skills, at some point you need to drop the drill and see if you've maintained the skill. So yeah. that's kind of the, 
the, the structure of our days. And you're, you're, you're bang on the on the nail there in terms of if, if things, if the energy levels don't um, don't have some adaption throughout the day in training, then I think people just switch off. So, yeah, yeah good plan. Well, this is uh, the only problem we had with Verbia last weekend was that the light was really, really difficult. Flat. You know, flat, and it was it was awful. Actually, you couldn't couldn't really see, and you couldn't see what was coming. So, it was a bunch of fresh snow it was snowing at the same time. It was really, really tough conditions, and and I think those are the ones. As humans, we're quite visual animals, aren't we? You know, eyes are slap bang on the front of our head for a reason, and if you can't see the piece. You can't see the floor. You can't see the sort of the gradient. It makes it very, very difficult to be, you know, to be skiing very well. It affects me quite badly. I, I ski poorly when I'm uh, when I can't see. How do you how do you cope when you've got flat light? Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're definitely right there. I mean, nobody nobody particularly enjoys, I think, skiing in the in, in flat light. But I think that's the, the that's where the skill of an instructor comes in. I was having a chat just earlier on, actually, with one of our instructors who's um who's starting to move through the the system now and the the the, the kind of example i gave her is that you know, anyone anyone can teach a lesson on a on a blue sky day with a nice temperature on a flat groom groom mm. piece that's not really the measure of an instructor the measure of an instructor is uh you know when you get these kids that are dropped off because parents are going off to do their thing um and it's it's foggy and windy and you still have to deliver and you still have to dig really deep to to entertain and find a way to distract people, I guess, from the fact that they're, they're skiing conditions that um, are less than uh, uh, less than pleasant. Yeah. That, for me, is the, is the real measure, is, is how you turn what could be the flattest day, and I'm talking about emotionally, not yeah. light, into an experience where people come along and say, you know, I had a really good day today. Um, and I do that with lots of distraction, lots of... Uh, you know, lots of, 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 of playing games and trying to be touchy-feely and, and yeah. use that kind of external um, external stuff that we all could be better at. When you can see three, 400 metres in front of you, you don't need to worry so much. But when really you can't see two metres in front of you, then you've got to really focus on how you're standing. And that can be turned into a, a fun activity. But, yeah, of course, if you if you ask me what, what, what I want to go skiing in, I want to go skiing in you know, blue, blue skies and, and powder. But yeah. we also know that's not the... Uh, that's not a reality of, of working as a ski instructor or, or being a skier on a mountain environment. No, no, especially the, the rain days. They're the worst, I think, the rain days. They are awful. They are. They literally are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one that, the, um, apologies out there if there's any of my clients listening, but the ones that you're, you're sitting in the cafe and you're looking at it rain thinking, the client's going to call in a minute, aren't they? They're going to call, they're going to cancel. They have to. Why? Why? Why would you turn up in this? And uh, yeah, it's difficult. Those days are those days are real, real difficult. Um, but that's the measure. That that's the real measure of, of, of yeah. what we do as instructors. And yeah, you know, as I say, it's uh, it's not difficult to do it in, in easy conditions. No. And, and I'm, I've been in that situation where you're thinking, why would you want to ski in this? But of course, yeah, you know, a lot of our our guests, um, you know, that visit the Alps from the UK, as an example, or from Ireland, they it's precious time for them. You know, any any time yeah. in the mountain is better than the time they may be spending in there. In the office, office right? in London yeah. or Dublin or somewhere. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, for us, yeah. we're thinking, guys, just have a cup of coffee. But for them, it's like, just want to be outdoors. Yeah, it's true. It's funny. The Swiss look at them and they think these people are crazy. You know, they're skiing yeah, any, any weather. But uh, yeah, you can understand it, right? When it's your one week a holiday a year and it's, you know, this is yeah. down with rain all week. It's it's not easy. That's the measure of a ski, right, ski instructor. Can he do it on a wet Wednesday in uh Absolutely, in yeah. 
<laughs> All right, Pete, what we normally do is give everyone a little plug and say, you know, where can you find us? Uh, let us know about your, your trips business and everything. So um, let us know where, where people can get in touch with you. Yeah, so um, so if you want to have a look at what we do at our centre, it's it's simply www.thesnowcentre.com. So that's uh, that'll give you an overview of what takes place here. We've got a live cam on there and all the rest of it, so it's quite interesting. Um, the stuff that I do outside of uh, the Snow Centre is uh, alpinecoaching.co.uk. So these are the kind of technical courses that are a bit more adventurous. And then obviously, um, iezysnowsports.ie is. Uh, is the association that, that you know I'm working as an educator for. So they're my three kind of strands to uh, in the in the snow sports world. And thank you for the opportunity. Mate, well, uh, it's been brilliant to finally get this done. Um, I know you're a busy man. I really, really appreciate you finding the time, time to chat and uh, and speak to everyone. So um, so yeah, thank you very much, and I, and I wish you a very pleasant season, uh, both indoors and outdoors this winter. Thanks, Dave. Have a great season, and maybe we will catch up again at some point. Hopefully so. All right, man. Cheers, mate.